Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 75 of the SLS Cast. Yes ladies and gentlemen, the diamond episode. Because no matter if you are a traditional follower, or a modern follower, or just like to keep up with the gemstones, for your 75th anniversary, it is the diamond anniversary. <laughs> we, we almost need to replace the hard rock music in the background here with like the, the cheesy, you know, uh, inspirations by Matt and Tim. <laughs> the diamond edition episode the, uh, the, the old uh, uh, silhouetted diamond commercials right you know where they have that little where they have the classical music in the background and then they just show the diamond ring coming across the silhouetted hand and then maybe like the family guys parody of it where he like pushes her head down to his waist because it's diamonds she'll pretty much have to <laughs> are you implying right. something Matt <laughs> uh, are you well, trying to do. take this show somewhere already? They where... do say that diamonds are a girl's best friend. So, whoa! At on. any rate, officially <laughs> on that note, I am Matt, and I am Tim. How are you doing? I am doing well. A little tired this evening, but yeah. you know, here we are on the twelfth of May. Did Mother's uh, Day wear you out? N- not really. No, it was kind of uneventful we had to actually do some uh, just kind of worked out with me getting off work and um that night and jen having to do something uh, she was up at cole's oh she, that's right she was up at cole's the department store spending her uh mother's day present which was cole's cash and extra cole's rewards so yeah she so she had a whole bunch of stuff to go get new shoes because you know woman a woman who wants shoes go figure right and i ended up meeting her and then we literally didn't get home till like 11 o'clock it was crazy and it was a school night for the girls so we're like no and then this week is just really weird for me because i'm going to be out of town this weekend you've got all you've got surgery coming i'll let you talk about that and and then like birthday celebrations for yours so here we are recording on a monday at like late for both of us which we which we don't really do. I know, yeah, because I'm afraid that I'm going to get evicted or something for being too loud. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is insane. Insane. All right, so we're <laughs> going to have a six-minute episode of the show so that Tim does not get evicted. Ready? <laughs> uh, movies, movies, movies. Bad, bad, and awfully good, but a little weird. Ah, there you go. Uh, we, we, we sound... Pretty close to agreement on these. Let's uh, we'll, we'll, intriguing, intriguing. Okay, well then I guess let's go ahead and just get right to it. Um, well, actually, no. Wait, tell us, tell us about your interesting week forthcoming. What you oh. have coming up in like ten hours? Yes. Well, okay. So I my insurance expires at the end of the week uh, on my birthday on Sunday, and I went to the the last time I went to the dentist was in February, and I thought, okay, well. You know, I, I can't wait a full six months for my next cleaning, so I decided to use it all up and, you know, just go all out and just get my last cleaning. Last Friday, 
I asked her if I need to get my wisdom teeth out. She said, no, you're fine, you're fine. I go in today, and guess what I have to get out, and that it's imperative that I do it ASAP, and that is my wisdom teeth, all four of them, especially my L17, apparently. And I went and saw the uh, this oral surgeon, who's just in the building right next door, and I'm sitting in the waiting room, and apparently this is an oral surgeon for the stars. And guess what, Matt? Guess whose teeth that he operates on on a regular basis? Whose pesky goddamn L17 must he operate on on a regular basis? Darth fucking Malls. Wow. Yeah, they have his picture there right in the the waiting room. They work on those gangly teeth. So that's exciting. Those, Him and Cheryl Hines. Those gangly Hines. teeth have been yeah. in quite a few different movies. That is true. That is true. So uh, so this time tomorrow, I'm probably going to be uh, comatose on the couch on a whole bunch of drugs. Probably even watching some Star Wars cartoons. Who knows? Who knows what kind of freakiness I'll get into tomorrow. So, yeah, just be prepared. I'm warning people, like, be prepared for the weird-ass texts that you might be receiving within the next three days. Things might get a little funky over here in the Schwanee Kuznia residence. Right on. Oh, well, uh, I was listening to my buddy Jeremy's podcast. Uh, his podcast is The Wow Factor Show. And you catch him Tie at wowfactorshow.com. And the reason why I specify that is because I am returning the favor of the shout-out that he sent to me on his show last week. And because we were talking about the WoW movie, there's a World of Warcraft movie coming. And oh yeah, we need to get them on the show. I know, I, he wanted to do it, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Apparently, you know, it's one of those things that if it is meant to be, it will happen. Well, when I'm in town in the next couple weeks. It's about as good. Well, currently, our chances are about as good as a Friends reunion where Courtney Cox stated that I can't even get the six of us together for dinner. Do you really think that we can get together to do a TV show? So, uh, I mean, that's kind of where we are. Although, if I could have dinner with Courtney Cox, I'd be all right. I mean, that'd be just fine with me. (laughs) President Courtney Cox or 15 years ago? Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, yesterday, today, and forever. Are you kidding oh. me? Have you seen this woman? She's fucking gorgeous. <sighs> At any rate, I guess we should go ahead and get into the actual stuff. But before we do, because I like to keep postponing things and just, you know, it's like it's almost like edging. I'm like edging with our segments here. It's kind of crazy. A little bit of sad news that's not really entertainment news. Well, it's, it's entertainment news, technically, but it's not really movie news. From MSN, courtesy of Investor Place, because, you know, it's important to keep up with the stocks of companies based on people who die. The voice behind Tony the Tiger dies. Lee Marshall, who began voicing the cartoon mascot in 1999, battled against esophageal cancer. Now, he did start doing fill-in spots for Thurl Ravenscroft, who was the original voice but he actually picked up the gig th- uh, officially and completely in 2005. Thurl uh, Ravenscroft, of course, uh, if you did not already know, was who was the original voice of Tony the Tiger, was also uh, the guy who sang, You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right? So he was that guy. And it just kind of, you know, you, you, 
and, and they and I actually went and looked up a couple of these guys' commercials, and he really did a good job of replacing. This was not like a Kermit the Frog replacement where you have funny sounding Muppets. No, this guy actually did a very good job of doing Tony the Tiger. So it's kind of sad, and just thought I'd share. R.I.P. Indeed. Frosted Indeed. Flakes. Frosted Flakes will never taste the same <laughs> from here on out. Yes, poor, poor Kellogg's. Their stock will now die. Actually, apparently, upon releasing the, the releasing of this news, Kellogg's stock is up 1.80%. So Really? Like sympathy uh, payments? Sympathy, <laughs> sympathy biting? A sympathy Eating? dividend, courtesy yeah. of the death <laughs> of Lee Marshall. All right. Well, here we go, folks. For real this time. It is uh, the news. Why don't you go ahead and start off with your massive amounts of news we, this is probably going to be a pretty quick news segment this week it's been kind of a slow news week and neither one of us really have a lot of news so go ahead tim take it away all right so monty python people have been wanting a monty python reunion for a long ever since graham chapman no graham chapman passed away he was the fifth uh, Monty Python, there, part of the group, probably one of the most. He, he played Brian in Life of Brian. Well, the four remaining guy, or excuse me, he was the sixth Monty Python. The five remaining Pythons, that's John Cleese, Eric Idle, Michael Palin, uh, Terry Gilliam, oh, Terry Jones. God, thank you. Terry Jones, me. Ah, okay. Um, well, they're going to follow in their own footsteps for when they did the Live at the Hollywood Bowl some years ago, back in the late 70s. What they did is that they performed like two, I think two or three shows there, and they filmed it, and they released the finished product into movie theaters, and it did pretty well. In fact, that is some of the best live comedy you will find anywhere. I highly suggest people check out Monty Python's Live at the Hollywood Bowl. Hilarious stuff. Well, now, Monty Python will be performing live, probably their final appearance, especially together, doing uh, comedy together. It's going to, unfortunately, be in London, so unless you're living in the UK or already have tickets to one of the five shows, you're probably not going to be able to see it. Unless you're me, or you're, you know, one of one of us who will be able to go see it in the movie theater. That's right, you will be able to see The Last Night of Monty Python... And it will be coming to a theater near you, hopefully. So you'll be able to check it out. And uh, I got, this is something to really, really look forward to. Um, here, let me see if I can find when it will be released. Here in the CinemaBlend.com article, The Last Night of Monty Python Coming to Movie Theaters says that, quote, I'll be curious to see how The Last Night of Monty Python might play to the crowd. Not just in the O2 Theater, which is where they're going to be performing, but to the wider audience watching on 1,500 screens scattered across the globe, 450 of which will be within the United Kingdom. I've been to similar simulcasts in the past, in particular for the stage shows of This American Life. In those, the producers work to make the experience of being in a theater 
far from the live action as inclusive as possible through games and even a song number that required the crowd to play along with an app made especially for the event. It's unclear if any such efforts are being constructed for the last night of Monty Python, but it's easy to guess the ticket price will be worthwhile all the same. And it looks like we'll be seeing that here in the next couple months, because I believe their live uh, their live performances at the O2 Arena begin in June sometime. So look forward to that probably in July or August. So that's exciting. Awesome. All right, coming to us from TotalFilm.com, courtesy of Rosie Fletcher. New Flintstones movie on its way. A hit Hanna-Barbera cartoon, which spawned two ropey live-action films. The legacy of the Flintstones is set to continue with a new animated feature to be exec-produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. The project, following the modern Stone Age family, is being developed by Warner Brothers with a script etched by Chris Henchy, who co-wrote Farrell and Zach Galifianakis' comedy The Campaign. No word yet on whether Farrell will voice grumpy quarry worker Fred Flintstone, though it would seem like an obvious choice. If it was up to, well, the people who are in charge of these things, I guess, uh, we'd not have this at all. But apparently we're going to have this. Huh. Did you like the first Flintstones movie with Rick Moranis and... The first one was... It was pretty clever and cute. And it wasn't terrible. And then they went and made a sequel. <laughs> and now I hate them all. <laughs> anything that has a, anything to do with it. I think it just needs to die and be done. But Oh well, such is life. What do you have next, sir? <laughs> All right, so Godzilla, which I actually saw this movie uh, this afternoon. We'll be talking about it probably next episode. This is from a HollywoodReporter.com article entitled, Hollywood's Godzilla is an American fatty. Say Japanese fans. Maybe I should say Hollywood's Godzilla. Godzilla. Because you really can't say Godzilla. Hey, it's Godzilla. You have to say it's Godzilla. Because it's very serious. This Godzilla. Well... According to this article, it says that, quote, Some Japanese film fans think that Gareth Edwards' Godzilla character has put on too many pounds in all the wrong places, and they have been making their feelings known on the internet. The name Godzilla is a combination of gorilla and kujira, the Japanese word for whale. For many Japanese lovers of their country's original monster, the upcoming Hollywood recreation is not enough muscular primate and too much blubbery <laughs> what the hell what is c-e-t-a-c-a-n cetacine cetacine one more time c-e-t a-c-e-a-n blubbery cetacean i guess so Whichever way you look at it, he's an American fatty, posted one fan after promo images and trailers went online in Japan. He got fat in America on cola and pizza, tweeted another fan. A common Japanese image of Americans is one of expanded waistlines, and not without some justification. Obesity levels in Japan are below 4%, versus around 36% in the United States. Comments have been rolling in all over social media, film fan sites, and chat rooms this week. He's couch potato, but Godzilla. 
It's got no neck. He's supersized. And Marshmallow Godzilla? We're just a few of the re- uh, we're just a few of the reactions from fans, and the article goes on from there. I mean, I'll say this from seeing the movie: it, it goes to show what that people prejudge movies based on promo material. I think, and unfortunately, I think that depending on the movie, we can put an audience in kind of a negative. I guess, mood before seeing these movies and to where the movie has to be spectacular to get people out of that, you know, preconceived notion of what the movie is or the movie will fail because it will not leave, uh, you know, it won't uh, uh, over exceed your expectations and you're just going to go in and say, oh, look, it's a fat monster, but really it's not. It kind of fits. I mean, if you look here at the poster here, they make Godzilla look bigger than a freaking city. Like, if you're looking at this poster, which is the main one where you see uh, the city and Godzilla is, you know, there in behind the city and he is humongous with its back towards you. And it it's it's not that is not at all how he is in the movie. So if you were worried, that is not at all. I mean, there are buildings that are maybe a little bit taller than he is. So there's definitely that smash him up Rock'em Sock'em building destruction moments, for sure. So, well then, let us move on to Movies.com. So, thanks to Movies.com, courtesy of Chris Clow. Comics on film. Why it's time for Spider-Man to go home to Marvel Studios. This is an awesome op-ed that is... Grounded in reality in terms of its reasoning, but as the headline says, is completely pie in the sky in terms of its goal. Turns out that after a two-year wait, one of superhero cinema's biggest stars, an architect of the current golden age of comic book movies we're now enjoying, has returned to theaters worldwide. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 has finally arrived, bringing back the celebrated cast and director of the first Amazing Spider-Man film. And after a strong opening weekend showing in domestic markets, our third film continuing the threads of the second is assured. Unfortunately... In addition to Amazing Spider-Man 2 being the longest of all the Spidey films, it's also not being well-received critically and has managed to polarize any conversation about the webhead and his future prospects on film. Not only that, but the latest is also supposed to be the basis for the beginning of a Spider-Man cinematic universe, even with a lot of perceived problems. It goes on to uh, basically explain a lot of the things that were wrong with Amazing Spider-Man 2, and things that could have been improved upon thematically. And then also goes back to kind of compare and contrast versus the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series. And quoting aptly that 2004 Spider-Man 2 is definitely, of all the movies so far, the best of the bunch. He then dictates this along with taking a look at Fantastic Four, and X-Men, which could also do with going back to the Marvel fold. Um, While he does make an excellent case for this, I I gotta say that he's both right and wrong. He's right because, I mean, the facts are pretty clear. They're desperately grasping at straws. Sony's hanging on to this thing for for dear life. 
Uh, they ended up getting it. I actually finally got to read The Futurist, which was Tim's Christmas present to me because I <laughs> finally got out of school for the semester and had had a little had a day on my hands, so I read it. And it actually is covered in here. So Sony barely got this thing in the first place, which will also tie into my last piece of news about the reason why Sony picked it up at all, um, because Marvel was struggling financially and needed the money. He's So he is right that, that all these reasons that Sony's desperately trying to cling to it and they're not doing as good of a job shepherding the franchise as they could, especially when they're going to try and make a thematic universe a la Avengers, a la Justice League, then what is the, you know, what is the point? You may as well just let it go back to Marvel, who has a better plan for their characters and stuff. The problem is, is that I think that by doing this, while it's certainly not ideal for any of the studios, for Marvel the movies as a whole, and for the characters, and I guess at that point for the fans... I think it's still better than letting them, than letting Spider-Man go back, letting X-Men go back, any of that, because it's it's forcing innovation. It's forcing other characters to have to be brought to the fore. It's forcing people to look at secondary and second tier characters on both sides because now that Marvel's doing it and is so successful, well now D- now DC's needing to do the same it's making it so that you have this new universe that can expand and hopefully eventually, God please get, get around to original ideas again to that end though, even where the ideas aren't original if it hadn't been for what Sony and, quite frankly, Sam Raimi, really, had done with the Spider-Man franchise, granted, I know that X-Men came out before Spider-Man, but still. Um, I mean, we wouldn't be talking about an Ant-Man movie. People would be like, I'm sorry, did you just say Ant-Man? People are still kind of doing that today, but they're not really shocked by it. He Again, it's a, it's a, it's a really good article great read i I definitely recommend you check it out again movies.com the article is comics on film why it's time for spider-man to go home to marvel studios by chris clow and definitely check it out again his reasons are sound but i just disagree i think ultimately it's good that they're separated from the fold and that it's not all in one place i don't know what do you think tim do you do you think that sony just needs to let him go. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, because it's like what I really liked about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, like the comic book feel to it, that's the type of stuff that I, I'm not getting from the Marvel movies. And I kind of like that avenue that it feels like that they're want, that Sony is taking um, taking Spider-Man down. You know, more like the comic book, more fun and and, and kind of... I, I don't know, like, visually appealing, you know, if, if that makes sense. And I, I like that. And I think that if that if that was a part of the um, the, the Marvel universe, you know, the like with, uh, with the Avengers and all that, I don't think you'd get the same movie. You'd get something more like 
the first Spider-Man, uh, the, the first Amazing Spider-Man movie that uh, that Mark Webb did, where it's more of like an independent movie. And if Marvel made that movie, it would probably be a little bit bigger and more action. It could have been more entertaining, but I, I don't know. I, it just seems like they're going more for like the pulp comic feel to it, and I and I like that, and I like that. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with with you in that boat with uh, keeping them separated, but. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell like what direction the, all these guys are really taking their their material with down. Indeed. All right, sir. Well, what have you got for us now, if anything else? Yes, my last piece of news here, Joss Whedon on the making of the Avengers follow-up and how it's different from the first one. This is from a Hollywood Reporter article entitled Joss Whedon on making Avengers follow-up different. And this is what it says, quote, Whatever you're expecting from the second Avengers movie, director and writer Joss Whedon wants you to know that it won't be just like the first one. Why would you make one movie twice, he asked. That seems weird. Whedon said that the need to differentiate Avengers Age of Ultron from its predecessor has led to the introduction of more characters to the movie. I fiercely dislike the idea of just throwing more people for the sake of Excuse me, for throwing more people uh, for the sake of doing that, he told Empire Magazine. But last time I had all of Earth's mightiest heroes versus one British character actor, and I needed more conflict. Not that the presence of the titular villain wasn't enough by itself. I'm having a blast with Ultron, Whedon admitted, describing the character as not a creature of logic, but a robot who's genuinely disturbed. We're finding out what makes him menacing, and at the same time, endearing and funny and strange and unexpected in everything a robot never is. End all quotes there. So what do you think, Matt? Are you glad to hear that it's going to be different tonally than the first movie, or would you like to see more of the first Avengers in Age of Ultron? Honestly, I have no response to that. (laughs) I really I'm glad don't. it's, I, I, it's just there's there's too many possibilities either way, and there's so many different ways that it could play out. Um, given that Joss Whedon has done, Joss Whedon did such a good job with the Avengers, and I have faith in his ability. Unlike Brian Singer's probable destruction of X Men: Days of Future Past, so no, no, I'm really looking forward to Days of Future Past. My thing with the Avengers is that with the first Avengers. I kind of got the same feeling like I got with Man of Steel, where it feels like you have all of this stuff going on. How could you possibly, like, top this mass destruction? And, like, there's so many characters, and it felt like everybody was trying to fight for screen time with the Avengers. So, I don't know. I'm kind of getting the idea that it's going to be more... Uh, more kind of comic booky and fun. Kind of like what I am expecting with with X-Men Days of Future Past. So, I my my big my biggest problem though I guess to cross over into Days of Future Past is that I was so incredibly let down by X Men Last Stand that when I saw X Men First Class, I was blown away by the possibilities that you could go with. There's so many different directions, and you had a, and you had this amazing. 30 something year gap with which to 
um, with which to fill in so much time and, and could have so many movies. And then Brian Singer gets a hold of it, and the first thing he fucking does is throws every goddamn character in it, and only twice now because you have old Magneto and young Magneto and old uh, uh, fucking Picard and young Picard, and you have old. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously. They, and so they've done all this stuff, and it's like, well, what the fuck did you even bother with creating? Well, because they're going to go back for. to that. They're, uh, they're one of the reasons why they're doing Days of Future Past. It's like with uh, with whatever what I was talking about with Hugh Jackman and Wolverine uh, last episode that this is this is like the the goodbye the farewell to all of the older characters. You know, they like already said goodbye. Man. They said goodbye in X Men last. Yeah, but this and, is. And a, I was willing to let it go. <laughs> but this is definitely, I think, the mo- the better way to to go about it for sure. I mean, it's, it definitely to me at least, it looks like a, a much better. Uh, better movie and so after this apparently what i've read and what brian singer has been saying that after this it'll go back to um it'll go back to the younger generation storyline it'll just kind of build from there so it will it will ultimately go back to the youngins and i i am praying that i'm wrong please let me be wrong this movie is going to destroy any chance of another movie no, because the, uh, after this one, it's going to lead into X-Men Apocalypse. Because uh, apparently, I guess this is like a two-parter story. I don't know. I don't know. But it's ultimately going to lead into the, you know, the, the young generation taking over. But, uh, but yeah. And that's all the news that I have. All right. Well, then, let's go here. Last but not least, coming to us from ScreenRobot.com, courtesy of Gareth Wood. DC finished? They're coming out fighting. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The signs haven't been good for DC, but its decades-long rival with with Marvel suggests the fight's far from over. You see, things like Batman, who spawns Batwoman, you have problems like Batwoman, who couldn't marry her girlfriend. You have other problems like Harley Quinn, naked in a bathtub, about to go for an overkill suicide. Man of Steel involved lots of people dying. The Justice League film was cancelled. Then it was back on again. DC doesn't even know what it's doing. Marvel has it all planned out to 2028. They've won! DC fans should head for the hills wailing. Superman is dead at the top of their lungs. Alright. Now, the very last one, the author made that lineup. However, all of the other things are true. There was controversy over Batwoman not being allowed to marry her girlfriend. There was an art contest where Harley Quinn was naked in a bathtub trying to uh, commit suicide. Um, Man of Steel does have people dying, including Zod. Um, Justice League was off, was back on again. You know, you've had the Batman-Superman debacle um, going all the way back to I Am Legend. Then you have... The with aside from the Christopher Nolan trilogy, you've had virtually no luck in TV or on film, and yet then you've got the Marvel universe, which even despite terrible movies like Hulk, still managed to battle its way through. And you've got the Iron Man franchise, the Captain America franchise, you have Avengers on their own, and now you've got. Uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is 
doing really well and looking to get some form or fashion of other spinoff potential. And yet, where is DC? The thing is, you can also go online and you'll find any number of blogs, newspapers, and magazines that are looking at DC and seeing nothing but panic. This guy knows what he's talking about. Mr. Wood is on top of it. But he also knows, and this is very important, that 20 years ago, Marvel was bankrupt, forced to sell off pretty much all of the movie rights to its characters just to keep the lights on. This was 20 years ago. And that is how Sony, as I was referencing before from when I was reading in The Futurist, got Spider-Man. Just because you have a series of shakeups in the entertainment industry does not necessarily translate to automatic death of DC. I do feel bad for them. They are cinematically uh, in a really rough spot, but that doesn't mean that DC's in any worse trouble than Marvel was 20 years ago, and look at Marvel today, and look at DC today. This stuff has been going on since the 40s. We've been doing this for over 70 years. The point being, we just, we just must be patient and see if DC can really pull this thing out. I'm kind of hoping that they can. Even though, apparently, according to the article, Jesse Eisenberg is said to be the new Lex Luthor. Yeah. And Jeremy Irons will be Alfred. That, but that's okay! That is okay. We must have faith. The, the idea here is that don't don't count them out. It's never it's never over till it's over. This this rivalry has been going on literally for over seventy years, and Marvel was in dire straits twenty years ago. Look at them today. Let's see what happens with DC. I, I mean, what do you think? Are, are, should we write off DC, Tim? Is DC just dead? Uh, well, uh, do you want me to answer honestly? I, I don't know. It, it'll be no. I, please I mean, lie to me. I yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, I. After seeing Man of Steel, I am worried. I am, I'm a little bit worried. And with the Green Lantern, I'm a little bit worried. Because, like, you look at the Green Lantern and uh, and Man of Steel, those two movies are on opposite freaking sides of the spectrum. You have the Green Lantern, which was the comic booky superhero movie. And then you have... Man of Steel, which is going the Christopher Nolan, you know, realism kind of route. I I think it all depends, in my point of view, like what how it will uh, how it'll sway me, is it will depend on how what direction they take for Batman versus Superman. If they go for the comic bookie, if they go for the uh, serious, real life, you know, grittier uh, Christopher Nolan. Aspect, or if it's going to be like The Watchmen, you know, that's what I really want to see from Zack Snyder. That's what I wanted to see from Man of Steel. Uh, it's okay if the movie's gritty and more dramatic, but it has to, honestly, I think for these movies to separate it, to separate them from Christopher Nolan or to separate them from Tim Burton, I think Zack Snyder is a great director, but it needs to be, it has to have his visual flair. And to me, Man of Steel did not have his visual flair. It felt like it had him, it felt like it was more of a Michael Bay movie without, like, without all the fire and fireballs and all that stuff. 
you know, or the Transformers, even. It just felt like they took the movie, and without it being flashy and colorful, they put a, 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 a darker, more, you know, black and white kind of look to it. So, it all, it all rides on Batman vs. Superman for me. So, come back in two years. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, then that is going to go ahead and conclude the news for us, folks. And now, it is time for... Discussions with Matt and Tim. This week on Discussions with Matt and Tim. Matt and Tim will be going over the ScreenRobot.com article... The Romantic Chick Flick, R.I.P., by Emily Sutherland. And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. Thanks again, Weird Announcer Dude. All right, so just like Weird Announcer Dude said, yes, the ScreenRobot.com article, The Romantic Chick Flick, R.I.P., courtesy of Emily Sutherland. The Chick Flick is dead. Long live the female-led comedy. It's time to declare the death of the Chick Flick. The traditional boy-meets-girl romance has been conspicuously absent from our cinema screens recently. Scouring the list of summer blockbusters, there's all the usual suspects. Enough superheroes to save the world several times over. Something that involves Zac Efron being shirtless, and yet no romance. This month's The Other Woman probably comes closest, but romance is barely a footnote in the film, and star Cameron Diaz has spent almost every recent interview distancing the film from the traditional chip flicks. It, this this article goes on to state that in movies like Bridesmaids and last year's The Heat, that you are now seeing romantic chick flicks dropped in favor of the female-led comedy. Now, they she does go on to state that three films might seem like a fairly limited revolution. But these films represent a pretty drastic break with previous Hollywood standards. And she's right. These things eschew the traditional problems that women have that are formulaic in in standard rom-coms. And instead go with more realistic situations, problems that women actually face. For example, where marriage and babies are far from a foregone conclusion for today's women. That's true. And so these movies reflect that. And they actually go into greater detail about that. They talk... They, but they don't... Even though they eschew the, norm, the, the norms of a rom-com and focus more on, not necessarily girl power, but just simply extremely funny takes on things that occur for women from a woman's point of view... They don't undermine the success that women like Amy Adams, Judi Dench, and Meryl Streep have with their complex characters who win Oscars. I gotta say that this is a really interesting article. And it does show how, where she talks about Hollywood and how Hollywood kept churning out the same rom-com cliches and stereotypes until audiences just couldn't be bothered anymore. From going going from there to giving us movies like Bridesmaids, The Heat, and now, hopefully, and apparently, according to this article, The Other Woman, which is about friendship, not romance. And, and the friendship that is the core part of what these women are going, of what these women bond over. 
And I think to a large extent, I agree, but I have to, I still have to kind of call her out on the premise of she's still just using the three, the same three movies over and over again. And more to the point, she's more heavily focusing on bridesmaids than either the other woman or the heat. Which, by the way, I thought was just fabulous and couldn't wait for the sequel. Um, Tim, not so much. <laughs> Hated it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I think this is definitely an interesting article. And I think that she is right that these movies are starting to herald a turn in the way these movies are produced and brought to us. But I don't, I, I don't necessarily think you can stake it all on just these three movies and then more to the foundation of primarily bridesmaids. What do you think, Tim? I, I honestly think that female-led comedies are, will soon become as cliched as chick flicks, you know, or the, the, fe- the romance, female-led or, you know, romance movies. Because, I mean, in fact, not just the female... I think the female-led comedies more so than the male-led comedies... Because Bridesmaids, in a way, though it's different, and it, it, and it kind of uh, points it out in the movie, it's different from The Hangover, but it came after The Hangover. And it it a- acknowledges its difference by them going to have a bachelorette party in Vegas until they never make it to Vegas, which I thought was kind of interesting and pretty smart. And in a way, I can, I mean, though I didn't care for Bridesmaids, I can definitely understand the appreciation for it. Though I think Melissa McCarthy, I, I, I still don't understand her as a comedian, personally. But then you have movies like The Heat. The Heat is so cliched to me, and to me it's like, it's like so many different movies. And unfortunately, they are, uh, like, they're, they're, they're so, they're very much like, male movies, movies with male males in it. And they didn't do anything different apart from it. It's more of the same comedy that Millis McCarthy does. It's just more of the same stuff. And I guess the whole thing is, is that if you like her, more likely you will like everything that she is in. So, I... I don't know. It's just, just this... I, I really don't buy... I just really think that soon people will be saying that this is going to be... That this is like the next cliched thing. Yeah, a lot of guys like it too. And I think that's really the only thing it has going for it. Is that guys enjoy it. A lot of guys do not like female... Uh, the the romantic... You know, romance movies. I mean, like all the Nicholas Sparks movies. Not a lot of guys like that stuff. I don't care for... I mean, there, I, I like Ghost. You know, I think Ghost is probably one of my all-time favorite considered, you know, chick flick movies. Because it's a really good movie. And I think that's what happened to a lot of the, the romance movies, is that none of them, is that they don't try to market it towards men and women. They don't try to make it a good movie. They don't have great director, well, I mean, who are considered uh, seasoned directors. They're not, they're not getting them to make these movies. A lot of them are no-name, people that worked on TV, worked on music video. Just that, I mean, that's the thing, is that they're, they're not trying to reach a broad audience or a mass audience. They're going for a, a particular 
uh, a particular like niche or something. It's like the all these like dance movies, like Stomp the Yard, you know, battle dance, dancing, kicking, toe, whatever. Yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, they're going for a particular group of people. They're not trying to reach, uh, like, you or me or, like, my grandparents. And I, and I th- honestly, th- and I'm kind of going on a, on a rant here because this is what really kind of gets me with these movies is that I, I like to, I, I, depending on what I think is a fantastic movie is are movies that I think my grand that I could wa- I could have watched with my grandfather when he was alive. He was a movie guy. He worked on movies since the 40 late 40s early 50s. He's been around everything. He loved Monty Python. He he loved the life of he was a devout Christian and he loved the life of Brian because that was witty humor. And movies like The Heat, though some of it is funny, it's not, to me, it's not witty humor. They're all trying to go for the gross-out thing, you know, the, the the cheap laugh stuff that, to me, doesn't stick with me after I watch the movie. But then the same goes for other comedies as well. Like the movie, I, I mean, I didn't see it. I'm going off of trailers, but the Kevin Hart movie Ride Along and reviews I've read. You know, I, I could, I don't know, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I can express it towards that. There, even the movie Horrible Bosses which I did like Horrible Bosses, and there are bits of the movie that I can pick out and say, you know what, that is funny, but the movie ultimately doesn't completely stick with me because, again, a lot of the humor goes out with the gross-out humor. You know, the, the stuff that doesn't really have a setup, a, uh, a uh, you know, the, the attack, and then the let-up. You know, the stages of comedy, the stage of, the stages of, to me, what a witty gag is. Like Monty Python, like a lot of British humor you see, like a lot of uh, American humor, like I love, oh, what would be, uh, well, I guess they're Canadian, but, you know, like Kids in the Hall, early Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, early, the, early Simpsons stuff, is that it all has comedy that really sticks with you. And I, I just don't really get it with this with the like like the big deal of the female lead comedies how they're trying to do be different from you know the comedies with male leads they're only doing the same exact thing to whereas people bash the chick flick but the chick flicks can still be good they you know they can still make decent chick flicks it's just like those and unlike, you know, the only reason why these female-led comedies are becoming such a big thing, uh, maybe not necessarily the uh, the new one, the the other women, uh, but with, like, The Heat and Bridesmaids, those are huge movies because they it's the same exact humor that you will find in The Hangover, you know, in the movies that also appeal to both men and women. Yeah, I don't know if I actually answered the question or not, but... I'm sure those of you can take whatever from that mini mini ramble. All right, cool, Tim. Excellent. I guess that definitely brings us to the close of Masterpiece Discussion, or Discussions with Matt and Tim. So next week, we're going to be bringing back our newest segment, Copycat Throwdown, and we are going to compare and contrast ants with a bug's life and determine what we think would which we think was the better of the two 
So stay tuned for that next week, folks. Which leads us to the last segment of our show. As always, the movies. <laughs> Alright, so the movies this week. Odd Thomas, Wrong Cops, and Itu Mama Tambien. Uh, well, I guess it's if we want to save the best for last, we kind of have to divvy up the two crappier movies uh, to go first. Well, hang on. Which were the two crappier movies? Um, in, in my opinion, Odd Thomas and Wrong Cops. Oh, no! Ha, 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 ha. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. Because, um, see, Odd Thomas was the one that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, awkward. Awkward. All right, which one do you want to do first, man? Um, how about Wrong Cops? Okay. I think we agreed on Wrong Cops, so let's let's start off all pleasant and everything. Wrong Cops, 2013 American Independent Comedy Film. Uh, with people that... Uh, well, I guess Marilyn Manson's in it, so you know who he is. And he was the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Okay, sure. Which... He was the most recognizable <laughs> part of the movie, but... Um, yeah. Alright, basically... Bad cops doing stupid shit... And by bad, I don't mean inept, I mean crooked. Doing stupid shit, they basically have to dispose of a body that was shot by accident. It's a terrible fucking movie, one star. The, the acting is terrible, the cinematography is terrible. They're trying to be funny, and they're not. Um, remember Hot Fuzz? Remember Hot Fuzz? It's kind of like they said, man, we could do that! And no, they couldn't. Um, they could not at all it um it's not good and the ominous sounds of thunder in the background should prove that to you <laughs> seriously oh. it just fucking like let up a goddamn storm out here so I know the heavens um, are pissed <laughs> I mean seriously this is an this is, this is a an ensemble cast. It's supposed to be funny by a group, but it's like a bad comedy troupe who just seriously thought that they could do hot fuzz their own way, and it's not good. It's not funny. There's nothing redeeming about this. One star. I hated this movie, and I'm you know these are the these are the ones that make me wonder why Tim picks movies more often than I do. <laughs> Mainly probably because I'm just fucking lazy about it. But that's the that's not the point here. That's the, well, my I mean, failings are not the point. Here. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is that it's good to watch bad movies, you know, mm -hmm. or, or or movies that you think are bad movies. I think I, it's very good for that uh, for that little reality check. Oh, I because can't, I mean, there's no way every movie's going to be good. I know that. I'm just right. I mean, it's just like, oh dear God, you know. It's I I literally was wondering what the hell you were thinking. So maybe you can tell me. I'm done. One star. This movie's terrible. Don't watch this movie. Um, please, enlighten us. Why did you choose this movie, sir? And what okay, did you think? 
Okay, it is directed by Quentin Du... Oh, man. A French... French name. I-E-U-X. Dupio. 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 And if that name sounds familiar, it should, because he directed a classic movie called Rubber. I say classic because we have a classic episode where Matt and I completely... Fight. We have a we have a huge throwdown over that movie because he did not like it and I liked it quite a bit, and I liked it because the movie was visually entertaining. The premise of the movie of uh, the uh, the attire who kills people was interesting, and just kind of how they went about the movie was both funny and to me very. I mean, I get wildly entertaining, even. I mean, it wasn't a great movie, but it was different and entertaining. This is his third movie, and eventually we will probably watch the movie Wrong, which definitely has a higher Rotten, uh, a better Rotten Tomatoes rating than this movie. But it it feels like there are two different movies going on. You have the comedy troupe, the you know the, these comedic actors who. I don't know I can't really say it's two different movies because it's written and directed by the same guy. It's it's just weird, you know. It's like it he is for your entertainment. You're relying on this guy's direction and these people's characters, and it's hard to distinguish whether this guy's direction was really bad or these ca- people's characters are absolutely horrific. Because every once in a while, you get genuinely funny moments that are executed poorly uh everything from the 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 black cop with his his disfigured forehead and stuff which is i mean it's just stupid shit but there is just some really funny stuff with the music and relying on the musical taste of the of the bloodied guy in the back of the cop car who's nearly pretty much shot who got shot to death and you know wanting his opinion on music you know just stuff like that is really funny but again it was executed horribly and despite there being some funny moments the movie was still acted poorly the characters were not entertaining the movie mark berman is the head cop he's one of the head guys in this movie psychotic cop in the movie he is a poor actor you needed somebody that could really play the character right uh the best character was the woman cop in the movie because i i don't know she i I, it'll say a lot that she stands out in this movie because she has the most energy out of anybody in the movie she seemed like the one that really needed the money to be in this movie and it is obvious so I guess that's a good thing. Uh, I give this movie one star. One star. Even if you're inebriated, uh, you will probably zone out within 30 minutes of watching this movie. One star. Very good. And just to clarify, with Rubber, my argument was the explanation for the movie occurs at the beginning and with a brief coda at the end of the movie. And I felt that they needed to do the explanation for the movie at the end. And for me, the explanation at the beginning totally ruined all the fun that you could have had with the movie in the middle. Um, 
before you get to, you know, for the actual end. And it's a great debate that rages to this day. And I highly recommend you go check out that episode. And I think, you know, I've had people in my life who have seen this movie based on our show. And pretty much I'm pretty much we're still one for one on my end um, because my father-in-law agrees with Tim. But a buddy of mine who saw it agrees with me. So I, you know, the, the debate rages on years later. The father-in-law is wiser and older. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Except for the fact that now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is no longer just a one-off of positioning for a movie that made me not like it. Now we have, this is just enemy action at this point. This guy just sucks. (laughs) All right. Next up. Where do you want to go, sir? Where do you want to go? Because it looks like either way from this point, we're going to be arguing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about Odd Thomas? Odd Thomas. Now, Odd Thomas is my favorite of these three movies. But to be fair, and hopefully maybe not quite as polarizing, it's not by much. Okay, The highest rated movie this week for me, and you just got the one star a minute ago, is a three okay so this is not going to be like some kind of overjoying glorious review i just happen to like this one and you know why i like this one because it's quirky and yet somewhat thrilling and yet somewhat stupid but then it's got willem dafoe and by God, if he can't just barely, and I mean barely, on his own, save this movie. Now, now granted, he doesn't have, like, he's not like this huge uh, character, per se. He's more like a guiding influence throughout the film. But it's just, you can still feel his presence in the actions of Odd uh, Thomas. And part of, kind of, how he operates is based on what he thinks Willem Dafoe's character would do or how he would react, I guess. I think that, uh, and and it's that dynamic that kind of also helps to build the, and I'm using air quotes here because with an audio podcast that helps, right? The tension in the movie. But even still, I like the quirkiness of it. I like that it's kind of odd. I liked that it was kind of taking the sixth sense, so to speak, and turning it on its head. And it made for an enjoyable experience. So I liked this movie. Unfortunately, and, and I did like it. Would I recommend it for those who are either fans of Willem Dafoe or people who simply like quirky movies? I think then that you would like this movie. The movie does suffer from weird plot holes. It suffers from occasionally trying too hard in the thrilling department, in the tension department, and oftentimes comes off as awkward instead of quirky, which is why it's only three stars. It's not a perfect movie, but it is a likable movie, and I did like this movie, and I wasn't really sure what to think about it especially when I had never heard of it, and the Netflix suggested rating was like four stars or four and a half stars. I'm like, really? Okay. (laughs) 
Um, so I was like, all right, cool. So I sat down, I'm watching it and everything. And, and like I said, I come away liking this movie. Three stars. Go ahead, Tim. How, how terribly wrong am I? So wrong. <laughs> Actually, not that quite. I give this one uh, probably, uh, I guess, two stars. Um, it's directed by Stephen Summers. No, well, he is known for probably one of the best remakes, and that would be The Mummy, the first Mummy movie. He also did The Mummy Returns. He did Van Helsing, which... A lot of people didn't like, but I I enjoyed at the time. I haven't I haven't seen it since I think it was out in the movie theater. Um, and he also did the first GI Joe movie, which you know was kind of entertaining. So he really hasn't had the best run in movies, and this movie doesn't help out a whole lot. A lot of things just don't make sense in this movie. Um, things happen just to progress the story along. Like, a lot of things that are just so random, like, why the hell would a character do that? And it is so flippin' obvious. For example, you have Odd Thomas and his love interest is named Stormy. They're being chased by a character named Fungus Bob. Uh, and... They're in the church, and they're leave- They're escaping the church as Fungus Bob is chasing them, and all of a stor- and all of a sudden, the Stormy Girl she gets hungry. In the middle of a chase, she gets hungry and says, "I need to go get food." In the it just didn't make sense. Why? Because she needed to do this, so she is put in peril. So something happens, and it in how they um. How it leads in to the second half, to, to the setup of it, is just so bad. It's so bad. It's like you're watching just a really shitty D-grade sci-fi movie where it's like, Oh, Thomas, Odd, I'm, I'm so hungry. I, I, you know, they, do, they don't even mention the guy who's chasing him. It's just like she goes away and Odd Thomas is like, What? Uh... Uh, uh, well, uh, oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, like, does the shrug thing and the head turn and goes off after her. And that, and that happens a lot. Even with William Defoe's character, who is put in this movie to die. And it's kind of obvious, because every time you see him, there's, there's he's trying to have this little cutesy relationship with his wife. Like, when they're having sex and the phone rings and he puts the pillow over her head. And, you know, it's just trying to establish a character. And though I commend them trying to do it in, in Defoe trying to pull it off, it just doesn't quite work. Uh, also, another negative thing to mention about the movie before I mention uh, some of the positive stuff is that it tried to, ha- to establish a Frighteners-esque type of tone. Frighteners-esque or The Frighteners being the Peter Jackson movie with Michael J. Fox, because what I loved about The Frighteners is that it's it, it, there's a lot of similarities to this movie, it being based in a small town, uh, one character being able is able to see this de- uh, this demon, this devil, this demon guy who's out trying to uh, kill people, uh, though it's not in the same way as Odd Thomas. Uh, as the Odd Thomas movie is, um, you know, is going about things, but there's definitely some some uh, some obvious similarities. 
uh, for those that are fil- familiar with both of those movies. It's the, the tone in The Frighteners is wacky as well as it's a horror, and it's also uh, gets, gets kind of serious. There are some real, genuine human uh, seriousness in the movie, and Odd Thomas tries to do this sort of thing, like with the death of certain characters and the ending of the movie, but it just doesn't quite... I mean, it kind of does, but it just doesn't really hold on to the the serious girth that The Frighteners was able to achieve, to where by the end of the movie, when the movie does become lighthearted, it, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like a, a let-up from the seriousness, or like you're able to catch a breath finally, but more like, oh, well, you know, the credits should be rolling sometime soon. It, and then also the play on Odd Thomas's name becomes kind of repetitive and pretty damn annoying. Like, how many times does he have to say, or somebody have have to say, oh, your name is Odd. Well, that's pretty odd. Oh, this is such an odd series of events. And it's, you know, it just, how it plays off, it feels like even the character, like, like it feels more of like a chore than, or, or more routine than it is, like, tongue-in-cheek. Um... But, 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 I will say that the movie is inventive, and it definitely does have moments peppered throughout it of the Stephen Summers, you know, uh, action fantasy flair. And I definitely understand why uh, why Matt enjoyed it more than me, and was able to uh, forego some of the, the negative qualities that I couldn't, I could not, I wasn't able to overlook completely. Uh... And, you know, it is fun, and I definitely, definitely do understand why people like it. I just cannot, I I don't know, I just, I still think this movie is definitely weighed down by forceful, yeah, just everything that I said, pretty much. So, two stars for me. Now, to be fair, that wasn't so bad. I mean, at the end of the day, where I still enjoyed it despite its flaws, and you recognize that the flaws were too much for your taste, we still walk away from this not too terribly divided. You didn't like it, but I liked it. So we actually walk away with a combined rating of just okay. And right. that's yeah. not so bad. So yeah. let's see Let's see if the knockdown drag out happens here. <laughs> Maybe we'll be lucky again. <laughs> Maybe lightning will strike twice. Who knows? Here we have... Or as it would be directly translated into English, not literal, but direct, would be And Your Mother Too. This is a uh, Mexican drama. It's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. And of course, we know Alfonso Cuaron from last year's Gravity. Two boys who are kind of about to go off on their... I guess kind of on, on like a trip or something, or they're, or they're basically just kind of moving from maybe like high school to college. I couldn't quite get the grasp of... They're, they're definitely about to get ready for something big happen. They're having sex with their girlfriends, respectively, as the movie starts. There's lots of sex, so if you're into that, there's lots of sex. But, yeah, they, they're, they're having sex with their girlfriends, and then they end up going off to a wedding where they meet a chick who then they are trying to convince to go to this secluded beach because, clearly, what better way to, you know, 
get to know someone that you've just met than take them to a beach and try to have sex with them. And then, of course, this woman who is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you two are cute, ends up getting a devastating truth handed to her and then decides to take the boys up on their offer. Through which they then do get to have some fun and there's lots of fun to be had um and you kind of you're kind of seeing this okay it's a really clever idea how they do this because you're 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 getting to see the growth of someone moving on from a relationship who's had experience in life juxtaposed with people with people who are just trying to truly begin in their life and how they pursue their wants and their needs and all of this transpires at the same time and it's all wrapped in this you know beautiful sexy burrito now while I definitely can appreciate the idea behind this juxtaposition, and I certainly can appreciate the truthfulness that is displayed, because that's one thing that Alfonso Cuaron can really do here, and he's he's very good at, is getting you to understand characters and their behavior. He's very good at getting that story point brought to you. The problem here is that Everything seems just really, really trite. And everything seems just really, really overdone. Honestly, it's like... It's like Alphonse... Uh, Alfonso... The way... not Now, I know that he and his brother Carlos wrote this. But the way he's directing it, the way he's making the action, it's almost as if he himself is one of the younger boys. And he's just so excited to bring this to life to the screen that he's trying too hard to make these connections mean as much as they should mean and you're often left with just awkward and not in a good way not like you're trying to experience what these boys are going through or not kind of like really is this how it's kind of playing out it's more kind of like well what the hell really it's that kind of thing it's and and you are looking at it and you see how these things play out and again you got the it just ends up feeling rough it doesn't feel as natural as it could have and i just um was left kind of feeling rather blasé about the whole thing and you and you really shouldn't especially with the the climax of the movie you really shouldn't feel that way but i think that a better example of this is uh, Sex y Lucia, which is a Spanish film from uh, 2000 and uh, which is uh, Paz Vega and cool. Now that's some good sexiness right there. But, and I think that that film has similar tones to this one and does a much better job of telling a story in that format. This movie, for me, especially with how they build up to the climax of the movie and the subsequent denouement, I just didn't like it. I think that there was a lot that could have been done with this movie, but I think that the eagerness of Cuaron to tell the story in the way that he chose to tell it 
just ends up hurting it more than it could have ever helped. So I think it had a lot of promise, but unfortunately for me, did not do it for me. I was left kind of blasé, and then I got to give it two stars. And that's where I am. This is a four-star movie for me. Uh, this came out in 2002, um, and I think this is one of those movies that when it came out, it was different. It was... Uh, it was a coming-of-age tale before there were 100 million more coming-of-age tales that came out after this movie was released. And also, it gave us a taste of Alfonso Cuaron's uh, masterful uh, ability to create stunning single-shot takes. Like, what I mean, what I mean by stunning and very effective is that there are quite a few scenes that take place or quite a lot, quite a lot of dialogue exchange that takes place in within a moving car. And it's a truck shot where they have the camera placed in another car in the, either in the opposite lane or in front of their car shooting. And as their car is going, you know, they're, they're shooting from the side and they're shooting the car and the car is coming up, to it's it's like a they're on a bend or you know a pass or something they're having to pass a truck and then you see the car move into the other lane as the the camera truck moves in front of their car you know and speeds up a little bit and all through this entire time the dialogue is still happening and they're still talking it's it's the same audio from the car and this is after they've already been talking to each other and having a conversation for like three minutes and they're passing this chicken truck it looks like and then they're passing another car and then as they're getting in front of the other car they line back up with the camera truck and the dialogue is still going and you can tell that it's the same shot and it's the same dialogue because everything matches up perfectly everything you just watch the lips and watch their expression and that is truly masterful direction right there and it happens multiple times and there are definite and to me uh it happens definitely throughout the movie, you know, a, a lot, quite a bit, and it doesn't take away. It to me, it establishes atmosphere. It establishes a uh, tone. It establishes character. It establishes the setting, especially like they're at a at a restaurant bar type of place, and after the scene is over, the camera moves and it follows the waitress into a back room where this elderly Mexican woman stands up when this mariachi music comes on, and then she starts, you know, doing a little bit of a, of a geriatric mariachi dance by herself, and it shows women cooking, baking, cleaning, and all this stuff. For I mean, it's only about, like, ten seconds or so. It's not that long. But it's, it's what I call, like, an effective lingering shot, where, again, you get a sense of the atmosphere. And this movie is definitely an atmospheric movie you know it's all about the setting it's about what these you know you're you're experience you're you're experiencing these kids growing up and not only is it due to the characters and how this this older woman uh louise i believe her name is louise like how she brings you know uh, how, how she helps these guys but it's also the setting that they're in that they're in and it shows them reaching their destination and accomplishing what they've always wanted to accomplish but yet there are consequences consequences like these two guys it's summertime their girlfriends are 
in uh, in Europe. They're in Italy. They meet this one guy's aunt, who is absolutely gorgeous. And they, uh, once she finds out that her husband has cheated on her, she decides to, or actually, these guys come up with a, you know, a scheme of taking her to the beach, you know, just just basically to get to get into her pants. And both of the guys, their both of their plans was getting into the into her pants. But at the time, what they weren't thinking of was growing an attachment with her, and the idea that it's not going to be one of them having sex with her; it's both of them having sex with her and how that has its consequence you know this movie does a great job of establishing the aftermath of uh, of of, uh, of someone's of, of a consequence of whatever kind i mean this movie play uh, plays or this movie shows how people can react to others faulty consequences you know louise with her husband you know the boys with uh, with with the things that they achieve with Louise. I mean, again, like I say, they reach their goal, but then there's still more to the movie. You know, there's a consequence. They they reach the beach. They reach heaven's mouth, which turns out to be a real beach. They meet a fisherman. They go off on another adventure. They come back. There's pigs at their campsite. You know, there there are consequences for everything, and it's all a part of living. It's all a part of learning. It's all a part of of, of reaching adulthood. Yes, I didn't give this movie five stars. I gave it four. Uh, there are... I don't know. Like, I guess a good way to put it was that I just don't think that it's fair to call this a modern-day teen drama, which, uh, according to, uh, I guess, Roger Ebert uh, from uh, an interview a while back ago, that he was saying that he went on the website and uh, on their website back in 2002 for the movie and it said that this was a modern teen drama. And it's not a teen drama. This is a movie that is for everyone, but yet what makes it a teen drama is these guys being ultimate horn dogs. Ultimate horn dogs. And I just think it doesn't really accurate I mean it doesn't it it does it could have become something more universal than labeling it as a teen drama. And that's the one fault that I have, and it was enough to take one star. I might It might be a ludicrous thing for me to deny it a star because of that, but uh, I did. So you guys be the judge. Definitely check it out. I, I think it's worth watching, especially for the direction and the cinematography. It'll help you grow up. If you are a young one who are in who is into good foreign flicks, because this definitely falls into one of the classic foreign movies, especially within like uh, uh, Spanish cinema. You look at the movie uh, Cinema Paradiso. That movie also kind of tinkers around with uh, with uh, horny young men and how they become men. It's just all very interesting to me. So I mean, I definitely recommend it. So. E2 Mama Tambien, four stars. And an exhausting, in-depth four-star review from Tim. So we're still left with a three-star average, so it's not the end of the world, I suppose, either there. Okay, so next week's movies are going to be Godzilla, Neighbors, and Bad Milo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does bring us to the spiel. Are we ready for the spiel, sir? Spiel on. Yes, sir. All right, so... With the exception of discussions with Matt and Tim, 
The music you've been listening to, as always, is provided to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. We, of course, are still, as always, the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast. You can send us an email to the SLS cast at gmail.com. Of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. Go to Facebook, search the SLS cast there, and favorite us on Stitcher. With that, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Chris Evans, I get to say this. What if I couldn't handle people's opinions of me? I know that shouldn't dictate a person's degree of peace or happiness in life, but the problem is I chose a business saturated. That was a very exhaustive ending to the show there, Matt. How do you like that, Mr. Negativity? It was a negativity. You, you're like, I'm going to give it four stars. Okay, and that's it. I'm done. Oh, wait, no. Let me do two more minutes about, you know, coming of age. Okay, it's four stars. Wait, I need another minute to wrap up about whether or not you should see Well. Oh, that's all right, dude. No, I'm going to drag this out. I'm going to drag this out the full hour. You realize I'm editing this, so you may not get to drag anything out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes, and enjoy Matt's edit of the show. Until next time, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>